Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 320. Our big Bible question of the day, what is the hope that is the anchor for our souls? Well, happy Wednesday to you, dear friends, and a happy Veterans Day to those of you that live in the States. Life is a bit rough and tough these days in the Bible Reading Podcast bunker. Four out of five of our kids are sick, and one out of two of the adults are sick. For a total of five out of seven, which is a pretty good score for a movie, but a pretty bad score for a house full of sick people. Fortunately, it does not appear that we are being waylaid by COVID, but some other unnamed viral villain. Your prayers are appreciated and most welcomed. Our Bible readings for the day include 2 Kings 24, Psalm 143, Joel 3, and Hebrews 6. They're a little on the grim side. We will see the house of Judah punished greatly for its unfaithfulness, but there's great hope there too, and we're going to focus on that hope. As we read our Second Kings passage, you're going to note a chilling line. God was unwilling to forgive all of the innocent bloodshed in Judah. Now, that's both comforting and confronting. It's comforting because a righteous person wants justice. Justice is good. There should be justice and punishment for those innocents who have been killed, and God will not overlook any sin because he is completely holy. It's also confronting because most casual readers of the Bible have that view of God that tends almost towards God being a 100% merciful, kind grandfather on his rocking chair, not remembering or maybe even ignoring that God is a holy and consuming fire. God is just, God is holy, and yes, God is love and God is merciful. All of those attributes at the same time, all of the time. We find hope for Judah and Israel in our Joel chapter 3 passage today, which does look forward to a future where the kingdom of Judah and Israel are cleansed and dwelling securely with God, enjoying his full protection and his rich blessings for eternity. So that's a hopeful thing. And that's going to be our focus today. Our focus uh, Bible passage is Hebrews 6, which starts out with a very long and sobering warning to persevere in the faith that we've covered on a previous episode. All you got to do is come to BibleReadingPodcast.com and search for Hebrews 6, and then I'll pull that up. Today, we're going to consider the wonderful promise at the end of the passage that tells us what our ultimate hope is and just how secure that hope is. So, Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible and read and find out. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who are once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because, to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. For the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it and that produces vegetation useful to those for whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, It is worthless and about to be cursed and at the end will be burned. Even though we are speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, we are confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. For God is not unjust 
He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end, so that you won't become lazy, but will become imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie— we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So according to the writer of Hebrews, we have a firm and secure anchor of hope that we can count on, and that anchor is lodged firmly and unmovingly in the inner sanctuary, in the Holy of Holies, right in the presence of God. It's firm, it's secure, it's unmoving. Jesus has gone into the holiest place in all of existence, which is the Holy of Holies or inner sanctuary behind the curtain in the temple of God in heaven, And he has gone there on our behalf. Of this secure anchor, Spurgeon exults, Hold on then and trust, believer, you have an anchor of the soul, both firm and steadfast, and one that enters into the inside of the curtain. The winds are bellowing, the tempests are howling. Should the cable slip or your anchor break, you are lost. See those rocks on which many are driving? You are wrecked there if grace leaves you. See those depths in which the skeletons of sailors sleep? You are there if that anchor fails you. It would be impossible to moor you again if once that anchor broke, for there is no other anchor. There is no other salvation. There is none. And if that one fail you, it's impossible that you should ever be saved. Therefore, thank God that you have an anchor that cannot fail. In the kingdom of heaven, there are some analogies with the kingdom of nature, but there are a great many heavenly things that really have no clear earthly analogy at all, and you cannot with any accuracy argue from natural laws into the spiritual world. For instance, we have an anchor of the soul here, both sure and steadfast, and we throw that anchor up, which enters into within the veil. Whereas earthly mariners drop their anchor down into the sea, we throw ours up into heaven. That is odd, but it is true. So, we dig a well, but it does not get filled from the bottom. The rain fills the pools from the top. This is a new kind of well, and it teaches us that we must use the means, but that everything depends upon God. We don't have to depend on the means, but upon the God of the means. The rain fills the pools. See further, brethren, what the way to heaven is. It's a growing way, an increasing way. They go from strength to strength. Those who begin in their own strength, though, go from weakness to weakness. But those who know their own weakness and trust in the Almighty God shall go from strength to strength. In the natural world, as we grow older, we get weaker. But in the moral and spiritual world, when it is as it should be, the older we grow, the stronger we become in God and in the power of His might. What a mercy it is to be on the road to heaven 
which is a road ever upwards. From step to step, from hill to hill, from mount to mount, they climb who shall ultimately end their pilgrimage in the king's palace above. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. So I want to encourage you, dear podcast listener, you, yes, you, you have a hope in heaven, a firm and secure anchor. And Jesus is that firm and secure anchor. And he is that firm and secure hope. And it is set and unmoving through every catastrophe, attack, health, struggle, and hardship that you face. Nothing in all of creation can tug on that anchor enough to budge it. Most every night, I personally walk and pray and seek the Lord in the midst of this difficult pandemic time, and most every night as I pray, I visualize myself coming into the inner sanctuary overloaded with this huge bag of heavy troubles and fears and anxieties and whatever, and I throw that bag into the presence of Jesus for him to take it and vaporize everything in it. I know from Peter, 1 Peter 5, 7, that I can cast all my cares on him because he cares about me. And I know, and you should know from Hebrews 4, a passage we read a couple of days ago, that we can boldly go before the throne of God in heaven and you and I both can throw our burdens and needs to him and we will find help there. Hebrews 4, 16 says, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. So I will close with a little bit more encouraging Spurgeon words for us from this for, on this wonderful passage. When you have thus realized the patience and the comfort of the scriptures, oh, what a hope you will have. You will share the hopes of all the saints, the hopes which stirred their spirits when they died. Some of them in anguish at the stake or on the rack or dragged at the heels of wild horses or stoned or sown asunder, or slain with the sword, you will have the hope with which the godly, with which your godly mother died, the hope with which all those who were in Christ have died. You will have the hope that when the master comes, he will find you ready to welcome him, the hope that when his throne is set and his courtiers are gathered around it in the great day of account, you will be there, and the hope that forever you will be with him where he is to behold his glory, the glory which the Father has given him. I could not, if I had the tongues of men and angels, explain and expound all that is included in the hope of patient souls that are comforted by the inspired word of God. It is a hope full of immortality, and of it the Apostle Paul says, when writing to the Hebrews, which hope we have as an anchor for the soul, sure and steadfast. This hope we would not part with for 10,000 worlds if we had them. Do you not say so, beloved? Oh, let your eyes sparkle at the very thought of this hope. Let your hearts dance even at the mere mention of it. Let your whole soul be invigorated and kept in tune by this hope that when Jesus comes in his glory, you will be with him and you will reign with him forever and ever. 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. During Jehoiakim's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacked. Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years, and then he turned and rebelled against him. The Lord sent Chaldean, Aramean, Moabite, and Ammonite raiders against Jehoiakim. He sent them against Judah to destroy it. According to the word of the Lord, he had spoken through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, this happened to Judah at the Lord's command to remove them from his presence. It was because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all he had done, and also because of all the innocent blood he had shed. 
He had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord was not willing to forgive. The rest of the events of Jehoiakim's reign, along with all his accomplishments, are written in the historical record of Judah's kings. Jehoiakim rested with his ancestors, and his son Jehoiachin became king in his place. Now the king of Egypt did not march out of his land again, for the king of Babylon took everything that had belonged to the king of Egypt, from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nehushta, daughter of El-Nathan. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his father had done. At that time, the servants of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon marched up to Jerusalem, and the city became under siege. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to the city while his servants were besieging it. King Jehoiachin of Judah, along with his mother, his servants, his commanders, and his officials, surrendered to the king of Babylon. So the king of Babylon took him captive in the eighth year of his reign. He also carried off from there all the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king's palace, and he cut into pieces all the gold articles that King Solomon of Israel had made for the Lord's sanctuary, just as the Lord had predicted. He deported all Jerusalem and all the commanders and all the best soldiers, 10,000 captives, including all the craftsmen and metalsmiths, except for the poorest people of the land, no one remained. Nebuchadnezzar deported Jehoiachin to Babylon. He took the king's mother, the king's wives, his officials, and the leading men of the land, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The king of Babylon brought captive into Babylon all 7,000 of the best soldiers and 1,000 craftsmen and metalsmiths, all strong and fit for war. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamital, daughter of Jeremiah. She was from Libna. Zedekiah did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as Jehoiakim had done. Because of the Lord's anger, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he finally banished them from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Psalm 143, verse 1. Lord, hear my prayer. In your faithfulness, listen to my plea, and in your righteousness, answer me. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one alive is righteous in your sight, for the enemy has pursued me, crushing me to the ground, making me live in darkness like those long dead. My spirit is weak within me, and my heart is overcome with dismay. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all you have done. I reflect on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. I am like parched land before you. Selah. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Don't hide your face from me, or I will be like those going down to the pit. Let me experience your faithful love in the morning, for I trust in you. Reveal to me the way I should go, because I appeal to you. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord. I come to you for protection. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, Lord, let me live. In your righteousness, deliver me from trouble, and in your faithful love, destroy my enemies. Wipe out all those who attack me, for I am your servant. Joel chapter 3 verse 1. Yes, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and take them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will enter into judgment with them there because of my people, my inheritance, Israel. The nations have scattered the Israelites in foreign countries and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people. They bartered a boy for a prostitute and sold a girl for wine to drink. And also Tyre, Sidon, and all the territories of Philistia. What are you to me? 
Are you paying me back or trying to get even with me? I will quickly bring retribution on your heads, for you took my silver and gold and carried my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks to remove them far from their own territory. Look, I'm about to rouse them up from the place where you sold them. I will bring retribution on your heads. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a distant nation, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for holy war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the men of war advance and attack. Beat your plows into shore swords and your pruning knives into spears. Let even the weakling say, I am a warrior. Come quickly, all you surrounding nations. Gather yourselves. Bring down your warriors there, Lord. Let the nations be roused and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit down to judge all the surrounding nations. Swing the sickle because the harvest is ripe. Come and trample the grapes because the wine press is full. The wine vats overflow because the wickedness of the nations is extreme. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will cease their shining. The Lord will roar from Zion and make his voice heard from Jerusalem. Heaven and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the Israelites. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. Jerusalem will be holy and foreigners will never overrun it again. In that day the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk. All the streams of Judah will flow with water, and a spring will issue from the Lord's house, watering the valley of Acacias. Egypt will become desolate, and Edom a desert wasteland, because of the violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. But Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation I will pardon their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, for the Lord dwells in Zion. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, friends, for listening. May his great grace accompany you and surround you. Good day to you and Godspeed.